Sheldon Kennedy. Hi, I'm Sheldon Kennedy, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast, The Sheldon Kennedy Show. These episodes will feature honest and open conversations with notable guests who will share their stories, subject matter expertise, and insights on the many social issues we face today. This podcast is presented by Respect Group. Founded in 2004, Respect Group empowers people to recognize and prevent bullying, abuse, harassment, and discrimination through interactive online education. To date, over 1.8 million Canadians have been Respect certified in sport, schools, and the workplace. Now, I'm delighted to introduce our next guest and a new member of Respect Group, Barkunda Mutaj, who has recently joined the Respect Group team as Director of Conscious and Culture. And I think that's a critical new position we've created. That's awesome. Farkunda is a professional footballer and a sport and humanitarian activist. As captain of the Afghanistan women's national football team, she played an instrumental role in the escape of over 300 plus Afghans, including the Afghanistan youth national team to Portugal after the Taliban regime came into power. She is dedicated to using sport as a tool to help empower and maximize the experience of underprivileged, refugee, and newcomer youth. Mutaj was one of 30 female leaders in football invited by FIFA and UFA to participate in the 2022 Women in Football Leadership Development Program in Switzerland. She is the co-founder and director of Scarborough Simbas a non-for-profit organization that uses sport to help ease the settlement journey of refugees and newcomers to Canada. Mutaj earned two degrees from York University, a bachelor's in science degree in kinesiology and health science in 2019, and a bachelor of education degree in science and physical education in 2021. She captained York University's women's soccer team and later joined the York Lions as an assistant coach after spending five seasons as a player. She has won many academic and athletic accolades each year. Most recently, Mutaj was recognized as a top 30 York alumni under 30 for her active dedication towards social justice. Mutaj is committed to developing and implementing sustainable humanitarian and sport projects locally and globally to help advance equitable and diverse opportunities for refugees and newcomers, women and girls, and underserved communities to feel empowered and become impactful leaders. She also serves as a humanitarian ambassador for Penny Appeal Canada. Well, holy, that's pretty impressive. How are you, Varkunda, and welcome to the show. Great. Thank you so much, Sheldon. And it's a pleasure to be on the show and discuss so many important topics that impact the sport world. But um, I must say, I was pretty much blown away by your story, and and I see so many similarities, and I see how you know insightful it is to learn about people's experiences and being able to kind of bring change through that experience. You know, as individuals, I feel like you grow through difficult situations, and it's an opportunity for you to pay it forward. And um, I hope to be able to do that. And I hope to be able to learn from individuals like you, community organizations that um, are so dedicated towards social justice and making the world a better place. That's music to my ears, really. I feel the same way. I think that, you know, if we can find a way through crises and, and chaos and 
pain, I think we can pay it forward and, and make a difference. And I think no better no better individuals to carry that message and push for change than people that have found a way through it. And, you know, what, Parkunda, I mean, I know you're part of Respect Group now. We'll get into that later in the show, but reading your bio was awesome. Like just reading that, I mean, that that looks like that's a lot for a young person to take on. Like, you know, and and how did you, like, what what made you go down this road? Like, how did you, you know, enter into this world of social justice as being a footballer? Yeah, I think it really comes down to my upbringing. Like originally I'm from Afghanistan, but I came to Canada when I was two years old with my family. And, you know, growing up in Canada, I had access to so many resources and supports and so many liberties that I knew that, you know, Afghans or young girls in Afghanistan did not have. And I knew it wasn't equitable and fair, but because I knew it was unfair, I was going to make the most out of the opportunities that I had. And I wanted to give back to Canada for giving me an opportunity to, you know, have access to this, but also I want to give back to, um, you know, underprivileged communities, whether that be locally or globally within Afghanistan. And so, you know, grew up extremely grateful for what I had, but also knew that with my opportunities, I can impact on a greater scale. And that's kind of always been at the back of my head. Um, I grew up in a family where philanthropy was key giving back to the community was of utmost importance. And, uh, you know, you kind of recognize your privilege within society, uh, not necessarily because you're the wealthiest person or anything, but just knowing when you compare yourself to what you could have been or what people similar to you are going through, I think it makes it that much more meaningful and it makes you want to push even harder uh, for those that are unfortunately in a difficult situation. And yeah. So I like from a young age, I was very much involved in sports. Like my parents um, never really differentiated between male or female. What my brothers did, I did what I did, my brothers did. And so we were all, you know, involved in all extracurricular activities in uh, rep sport. We were involved in community organizations. And from there, you know, we kept taking steps forward and it came to, you know, the provincial level of doing very well and going on to represent York University and and then uh, representing the Afghanistan women's national team, which I was able to do through claiming citizenship through my parents. And for me, like sport is not just a game. I feel that with specifically soccer, because I'm, you know, a, a soccer person, it's such a huge platform and you can really impact lives on a greater scale. And so that's what I chose to do through football or soccer, you know, help shift stereotypes and, you know, the gender um, norms within Afghanistan and help progress opportunities. And yeah, that's kind of where we started. Right. And what was your, so what was your mindset? Like, so you were, you know, you started playing sport as a, as a young person in Canada you were just, you know, playing rack and, you know, going to York University. Like, where did your decision come from to say, I'm going to go play with the Afghanistan national women's football team, soccer team? Yeah, it was really when, so growing up when I was younger, you know, unfortunately, you wouldn't really see women's sport publicized at yeah. all. So you wouldn't see the national teams and stuff. But, you know, here and there, we you would see a lot about the Canadian women's national team. And for me, I was like, okay, I want to play for Team Canada. Um, you know, I want to give back to Canada through soccer and, you know, be that immigrant that came in and, you, you know, gave back to the nation. 
But, you know, it's a funny story, actually. I was part of the provincial pathway when I was younger, but being part of an immigrant family, my parents weren't really didn't know the player pathway that leads up to the national team. And so I was playing rep soccer. I was in the provincial pathway. It was the regional program back then. And three of my other teammates from my team, from my rep team were also selected. Unfortunately, they got cut and I was, you know, still on the team. And I told my parents, you know, my friends are gone, so I'm going to leave as well. And, you know, they didn't think anything of it. And two years later, I see how those teammates of mine that were part of that were now in the provincial pathway now, you know, playing for team Canada. And unfortunately, once I was out, I couldn't get back in. So Canada was originally the dream. Um, And when I couldn't get back into the Canadian program, the opportunity to represent Afghanistan kind of came when I was in university out of nowhere. I had an amazing first uh, year at York University and uh, my parents were approached about the Afghanistan women's national team. They're going to be investing a lot in women's sport. They really want to build a sustainable project and they're looking for like amazing prospects. And so I thought I'd go to the ID camp in California, give it a shot, see what I think about it. And that's when I was, you know, applauded very greatly. I was very much welcomed and they said I would play an instrumental role on the team. But of course, you you know, when you're young, you're happy about, oh, you know, you're going to be an incredible player on the pitch. But the more I played, the more I thought about how we're doing so much more than football. We're supporting, you know, a vulnerable community. We're showing the world that Afghan women are capable if they have, you know, the supports that everyone else has. So that's kind of where it began. Yeah. So you get over and you start playing for the national team, uh, women's soccer team in Afghanistan. And and then there's a regime change and you find yeah. yourself, I'm sure, in a little bit of a crisis, uh, not even a little bit. I shouldn't even I should rephrase that in a in a big crisis. And so, you know, where did your thinking go then? Like, you know, like I see that you've you know, you've managed to rescue over 300 plus individuals from from Afghanistan women's like soccer players and others like how where did your thinking go that you need to get these people out of here what 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 you know maybe explain to us a little bit about that yes of course so um in 2021 specifically just seeing the humanitarian crisis within Afghanistan the drought the poverty the displacement of families was heartbreaking but no one ever really had fathomed that you know there would be a regime change so abruptly and how uh, chaotic the withdrawal would actually be and so even prior to the regime change i should mention that you know playing for for the Afghanistan women's national team as you can imagine was always very uh political yeah. um it wasn't easy specifically for the girls living within Afghanistan You know, Afghan female athletes are not looked at in a positive light. They're already going against societal norms. Their families most of the time don't support them. And so they're already going through so many obstacles and barriers on a regular basis. And then to know that now there's a regime change that forget the barriers and obstacles that existed. They don't even believe females like they put a full ban on women's participation in sports. So you went from, you know, there's no ban, but society doesn't really accept it to regardless of society accepts it or not, it's impossible for you to play. And given, you know, historically what they're capable of um, and kind of um, what had happened to the people of Afghanistan, the first thing was, you know, worry, but I'm a firm believer that, 
you know, we can dwell on the issues or we can take immediate action and really propel change. And that's kind of what I decided to do when the Afghanistan Football Federation um, contacted me immediately when the regime change happened. Um, they asked me to help, you know, do something to support mm-hmm. the Afghanistan national players and, you know, help with evacuation. Originally, they were interested in Canada because Canada had just announced, you know, we're welcoming 20,000 Afghan refugees. And because I lived in Canada, they had assumed that I could have supported in a significant way. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. I started, I really didn't know what to do at the at the time. I was calling humanitarian lawyers. Uh, calling NGOs and non, you know, everyone I possibly could in the refugee and settlement field. And everyone was, uh, you know, sad about the situation, but no one really wanted to support. And luckily enough, um, a great mentor of mine, Kat Hostoyan, who's a former Iranian-American head coach of the Iranian national team that's based in the States, she connected me with U.S. government officials and that's when I shared the sensitivity and why they urgently had to be evacuated and that, you know, they are the future of Afghan women's football or soccer and, and, you know, their lives are at risk. And we, we got started right away. As you can imagine, it was a nightmare of a situation. Uh, the political landscape in Afghanistan was constantly shifting. So you develop plans, but unfortunately now there's force protection issues, there's suicide bombers, uh, there's no way to get into the airport. So you're constantly, you know, pivoting and pivoting. And um, what was difficult was I couldn't jeopardize the mission by sharing plans with the girls. So half the time they didn't know why they were going uh, to certain locations, what the protocol was to evacuate them. And so they're trusting me blindly it's a chaotic situation. We're failing miserably multiple times. And so people start to lose hope, of course, and yes. picture this for almost a month. This is what happened for almost a month, but I applaud their resilience and determination because as much as we kept failing and, you know, us as a team as well, kept failing and failing and failing and them, you know, being in a war zone practically yeah. and going through hell, um, they still stuck to it. They believed and, you know, perseverance is key. And a month later, thankfully, we were able to evacuate them to Portugal. As somebody that's listening to this for the first time and hearing this, uh, Farkunda, you know, what great resilience you have. But I mean, I can't even come to fathom how difficult that situation must have been and how much stress and anxiety that came with it just you know and and trust if you think about it like you think about you know you're trying to get your team out of there and and they have to trust you they have to trust where they're going is okay without being able to tell them anything yeah and uh that just it's going to take me a while to process how what a journey that is and and so you've now got you know mission accomplished right part of it i mean i'm sure it's ongoing mission accomplished so now where are you at with that and the yeah. team? So what have, had happened was throughout the month of, you know, helping w- with the evacuation, um, as you can imagine, I'm working off of three different time zones, the time zone I lived in. So Toronto, Eastern, I'm working off of that Afghan time zone and the American time zone as well, different time zones there. And so you had to stay up a hundred percent of the day or right. else it wouldn't have been possible. And so I had to, 
at the time. So 2021 summer, I had just graduated from uh, my Bachelor of Education. In September, I was starting uh, my first teaching position as a science and fitness teacher at a high school in Newcastle, Ontario. So And I was working full-time as well as the supervisor of sport and recreation at the Ability Center. But within that month... That's it? Yeah. (laughs) It's it's funny funny you mentioned that, Sheldon, because you know what else I was doing? I was actually coaching York University's women's soccer team as well as an assistant. I was playing in League One Ontario as well, and I was directing Scarborough Simbas, the refugee settlement uh, nonprofit organization that we have. So all of that I kind of had to take a month off of. And okay, we get them to Portugal now. And so I was invited by uh, the sponsor or donor uh, that chartered the flight to go to Portugal, surprise the girls and, um, you know, just coach uh, them a few sessions. So I was supposed to go for four days, took four days off of teaching. And I go four days later, they kept asking me, can you extend your flight? Can you extend your flight? And it came to the point where like, hey, can you stay in Portugal and help build a settlement plan for them and, you know, ensure they can integrate effectively and support them with their academics and athletics and housing and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, so like I already took a month off of basically everything that I was doing, which I was happy to, and they were so deserving of it. But I was like, okay, so now you want me to actually stop that and stay here. And I did that. Uh, It was crazy, but I ended up staying for about three to four months in Portugal, supporting them. I left my teaching position and all the other stuff that I was doing, put that on hold. And I was, you know, making sure that they were successful with everything that they needed. Because remember, Portugal is a country that doesn't have an Afghan diaspora. If they were to come to Canada, you know, Canada is very diverse, has a lot of communities that can support, has a big Afghan community, Muslim community, Middle Eastern community, and Canadian people are very used to welcoming refugees in general. Right. Whereas you go to Portugal, a nation that's a smaller nation, you know, isn't very well equipped with settling refugees. There's no Afghan diaspora, a very small uh, Muslim diaspora. And so it makes it that much more difficult. But nonetheless, um, you know, I did that, came back to Canada, and afterwards I started getting, um, started rethinking if, you know, I should get back to work, which I was like, okay, definitely do. But I was like, you know, my teaching year kind of was wasted in the sense that I left my contract. I'm going to be supplying if I come back. And I was like, let me just go play pro football in Europe because I've always had offers that came, but my education was everything that, that mattered most to me. And so I took an opportunity to go to Turkey. I went there for a couple months. Even before I went to Turkey, I got the opportunity to sign for the club that I'm at right now in the Netherlands. And so everything kind of shifted very quickly. And I'm, you know, now I'm like keynote speaking at all these events and doing so much work that um, I'm very happy to do in, in the social sphere. But I think it was super quick because last year, this time, although I was heavily involved, I was never, um, I wouldn't say I would put the work that I do out there, but within this last year, really come to realize that the work that you do is impactful. And I think by sharing it, it's not to say that you're boasting about it, but it, you help inspire others to do the same. And that's something that I always had a difficulty understanding until I saw the immediate effects of it myself. Well, I don't think you're alone in that struggle, Farkunda. I I still struggle, and it's been 
28 years later, because I don't think I ever made a conscious decision to think, oh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go be an advocate around abuse, bullying, harassment, discrimination issues. And, you know, that's just wasn't in my playbook as I was growing up. But I think that people kept asking me to come and share. And somebody told me one time, they said, you know, Sheldon, they're asking you because they want you to come and share your story and your, your, you know, your vision and your, your learnings, right? Because they, they need that. And and I think it brings hope to some dark, dark issues and difficult conversations. So you're not alone in that. I, I think that, you know, you, you're doing it for the right reasons. When I listen to you, that you have those feelings, you're doing it for the right reasons. And I think that that's important. And uh, so, so you, so you talk about social justice and, so you met Wayne. Wayne is co-founder of Respect Group, my best friend for a long time. Along this journey, you met Wayne. You probably maybe did some respect and sport training in Canada. As a co- so how did you connect with Wayne at Respect Group and how how did that evolve? So kind of walk me through that story. And I think for our listeners, they need to understand that, you know, You've had a relationship with Wayne and Respect Group for some time now, but you and I, have, this is the very first time we've chatted. So I get to ask you all these questions to make sure Wayne's telling me the truth. <laughs> yeah, confirmation is needed, eh? No, all I have to say, I, you know, Wayne is absolutely incredible, uh, to say the least. Um, it was around January, I want to say, that when I got back home briefly, uh, CBC did a piece with me, a, a podcast, mm-hmm. and you know I went through the experience. And uh, Wayne came across that, and immediately on LinkedIn, he received a message to connect, and one from Wayne saying that you know he's uh, the co-founder of the Respect Group, and you know at that Respect Group, that is so familiar. I've done so many trainings because, of course, as an athlete, as a coach in Canada, you have to go through the respect training. And I was like, no way the co-founder is is connecting with me. And so obviously I accepted and he was very respectful and welcoming and warm and, you know, really appreciated uh, what I had done and was very proud, but also wanted to support as well. So it wasn't just like a pat on the back, but he was like, what can respect group do to support the situation within Afghanistan with the newcomers here, just in, you know, in society as a whole. And, and, you know, first you kind of think, let me take it with a grain of salt because so many people offer me this and then kind of disappear, but no, you know, we sat on a zoom meeting and I explained everything and he was like, well, why don't we get the girls, you know, heavily supported? What is, uh, what is Canada doing to support these refugees and newcomers? Like, what can we do as organizations to make sure that, you know, people can settle here and this is a viable solution for them. And, you know, Wayne was able to connect me with different consultancies. He was able to connect me with offices of ministers and, you know, send voice my concern essentially about the situation within Afghanistan, Canada's commitment to Afghanistan, and see whether it would be a viable option to support more here. So that's kind of how the conversation started. We met regularly about it, and he was extremely, extremely supportive. And I was, of course, very interested in respect group as a whole as well. And so I started having conversations about the work that you guys do. And, you know, as time went on, the opportunity came up. Yeah, Wayne's an awesome guy. And and I know I know the work that he was, you know, like I say, we talk two, three times a day. So he uh I know he was very committed to helping 
big time, Farkunda. And he just spoke so highly of you and, you know, just you as a person, as an individual and, and the incredible work you're doing. But with Respect Group and that, like the programs and, you know, Wayne, just a good person. But you look at the work that we're trying to do uh, around the issues in Respect Group. Like, what is it about Respect Group? What did you like about it? What attracted you to the work and that we're trying to do across country, which we are doing across the country? Like, what is it around your social justice activism that you like? I want to say that Respect Group as a whole and the yeah. people that are involved are just so genuine and authentic. They do it for the right reasons and they really want to impact you know, Canada as a whole and make sure that sport in Canada is successful, the workplace is successful. And the only way that it can really be successful is if that we're ensuring that we have an environment that is respectful, that is welcoming, that is inclusive. And these are all things that I very much stand for and advocate for through the work that I do. And specifically with regards to, you know, uh, fighting against bad behavior, bullying, abuse, uh, harassment, discrimination. The reason behind this is, you know, as an immigrant to Canada and, you know, my my immigrant family, yes, we've experienced a lot of Uh, you know, unfortunately, bad behavior, uh, specifically towards family members of mine that are uh, maybe more apparent Muslim by the way they, you know, uh, observing the hijab or, you know, in sports specifically, I'll share an experience with you is my older sister, this might be like 10 years now or 10 years plus, she got kicked off the pitch because she was not in uniform and she was wearing a hijab. So uh, things like this is obviously critical, but I think the best way to combat unfortunate situations like this is, again, not to dwell upon it, but to actually, you know, educate the community, mm-hmm. educate our country as a whole, let them understand that, you know, There are human differences, but at the end of the day, if we have respect, if we eliminate, you know, unjust behavior, that we can really build a culture that will positively impact generations to come. And that's what I really take pride in. And the education itself is incredible. Personally, going through it as a coach, as a player, it's just such a fresh reminder Mm -hmm. of you know, sometimes it may seem common sense, but unfortunately you need that reminder to understand that within sports, sport is a microcosm of our societies. And we have the privilege and opportunity to do so well in sport and be a, you know, incredible role model for everyone. And so why not, why not through the workplace? Why not through sport? And so I am very proud to be part of the organization. Yeah. I think the issues that we're talking about, I mean, you know, if you, if you tell your story, just listening to your story and, you know, the work around evacuating, you know, the women's team and and I'm sure many friends out of Afghanistan um, because it's basically in a war zone, it carries a lot of fear. And I think the issues that we're talking about carry a lot of fear, abuse, bullying, harassment, discrimination. I mean, most people don't know where to start to even have this conversation. And I think ultimately the goal is to try to create a little bit of a confidence around these issues and clarity so that we actually can discuss them. But I I do believe that, you know, there's a lot of anxiety that comes around these issues and, and they're really misunderstood. Now, how do you take what we do and connect it to, like, we see a lot of the work being done today and, you know, it's almost like a whole new platform or whole new area of EDI, Mm-hmm. equity, diversity, and inclusion. How does that connect to the work that we do around abuse, bullying, harassment, and discrimination of all forms? 
It's a great question. I think res- the amazing thing about the respect group is that respect is an umbrella term, right? Right. As soon as you are respectful, automatically you are acknowledging that we want to make sure that we have an equitable environment. We want to make sure that we take pride in our diversity. And by taking pride in our diversity, we are going to be fully inclusive to everyone and ensure that everyone has a shot at success. Mm -hmm. And so, but when you look at respect as a whole, it doesn't matter what term you're using. It's just the manner in which you are communicating with individuals, the manner in which that you are progressing and making sure that your environment is a space that it's safe, it's welcoming, and that's, you know, regardless of what your race, class, or gender may be, it's a fair place for everyone. And that's what we really want to do, whether it be in school, the workplace, or sport, it doesn't matter the environment. You want to make sure that everyone can be successful. And and Respect Group is doing an incredible job educating the Canadian public on. Right. So you you, uh, chat with Wayne, and, and I just got an email and our whole team at Respect Group got an email that Farkunda Mataj is the director of Conscious and Culture at Respect Group. Mm-hmm. That's a new title that we have yeah. at Respect Group. Now, yeah. that's awesome. I think it's awesome. So what would your role, like, explain to us what your role is going to be with us and what your goals and vision would be and and uh, what how you see, you know, your involvement, your part of the, you're, you're now a team member with us, like, you know, which is awesome, by the way. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd love to hear what you what your vision is with that role. Yeah, I mean, my vision is very much in line with respect with what respect group is already doing right now, which is, of course, um, eliminating bad behavior, but inspiring, again, a global culture of change, and ensuring that, you know, it can be a sustainable culture, which is uh, the most important, of course. Uh, but also, what I do want to, you know, see more of, or you know, uh, help influence or implement, is really the cultural side and understanding how how important diversity is, whether it be uh, with discussion, whether it be with you know, just finding different methods of doing things. Yeah. I think it's critical to have in every dialogue different points of view. And I think that's what I, I bring to the table, a different perspective, different point of view, of course, uh, you know, an Afghan immigrant, a proud Canadian, um, you know, a proud Muslim person of color. And based off of those lived and learned experiences, that is something that I can help implement within the respect group. I think it's awesome. And we are so excited to have you and learn and be the best we can be. And I think you know what i know about these issues is they're they're ever evolving and we need to stay on the path of growth keep growing in this space keep getting better as we learn every day every year and i'm i'm excited to have your views and expertise and knowledge to help shape what we do at respect group well, let's talk a little bit about um You've got some charities that you like to be a part of that are close to you. Uh, what's the Penny Appeal Canada? What's that about? Yeah, so that is um, a humanitarian organization that supports underprivileged individuals uh, within Canada specifically and also globally. Uh, so some of the projects, for instance, that we do in Canada is the backpack program. When school restarts, of course, not everyone is on the same pedestal. Um, underprivileged families may struggle with ensuring that their families have a positive start to school. And so we provide them with the basic necessities, amazing school supplies. Uh, We do a lot of 
um, community drives and donations yeah. to, you know, underprivileged communities within within Canada, but also humanitarian issues globally. So, for instance, with Afghanistan, and that's obviously one of the ones that are more dear to my heart. We did a lot of campaigns to raise funds, whether it be when the regime change happened, the drought was there with the earthquake uh, in Afghanistan. So that's kind of what we do advocate campaign for underprivileged communities and make sure that, you know, we're action driven and we can really support there. Yeah. So that's definitely one that's extremely dear to my heart. And I must say jumpstart charities is as well. And I'm so proud to know that respect group and jumpstart charities are, you know, partners in many amazing initiatives and there's nothing that makes me more happier than seeing individuals have access to sport. Yeah. And be able to, you know, have the same opportunities, be able to see themselves reflected in sport and improve their physical and mental well-being, uh, their self-esteem. And what, you know, Canadian Tire Jumpstart Charities is doing along with Respect Group is, you know, just music to my ears. Yeah. What would you say, Farkunda, would be, you know, sport organizations in Canada? I mean, they're all trying to you know, grow. I know if you look at say hockey, for example, I mean, you know, I think they're, they're putting a full court press on trying to, you know, trying to make hockey inviting and inclusive to have people sign up, but, you know, not just, I don't want to single out hockey, but in, in Canada as a sport organization, how did they, what would be the most important, you know, things that they need to do to maybe to be welcoming to a new Canadian? for an example, that are looking to get involved in our country, looking to get involved in our communities, sport, you know, what, what should they be doing? What, what's the most, in your eyes, the most important thing that they could do? Yeah, I would say the top three most important things is, first of all, sport needs to be accessible, period. Right. It's very difficult to afford sport, especially sports like hockey that are more on the higher scale. But it needs to be more accessible so that more individuals can be involved, but also a step further when it's accessible, people need to be able to see themselves reflected in the sport. So if we constantly see that, you know, let's just use Ontario soccer as an example, not to say this happens in Ontario soccer, but if we constantly see just males in, you know, coaching positions or directing positions, or if we constantly see one uh, race within those positions, then odds are that you don't feel that as a player or you can progress into those directing positions or that you can impact the sport um, in a meaningful way. And so for you, it's not purposeful to even try to make your way up there because you don't see it as a viable option. So the more we see ourselves reflected, um, I think the, the more inviting and welcoming it would be. And then um, also with regards to rules as well, I know a lot of rules are very heavily enforced and it's nice to see the shift in in rulings. So for instance, 10 years ago, you couldn't compete with a hijab, but now you can, right? Right. So it's things like that, that automatically you're opening your arms to the wider community. Right. Now, as, as, uh, you know, say a new Canadian comes into Canada and, how do they like do you get involved in your community which then kind of connects you to to you know areas of sport or like how how would you look to see okay these are some of the things that I that I would like to get involved in or how do you seek out those organizations 
that would be the ones that you say, okay, this is what I want to do. I like this organization over this one. What are they doing that the other ones aren't? Yeah, well, I can speak on behalf of Scarborough Simbas, which is yeah. an organization that I'm a co-founder and director of. Uh, it's a recreation organization, so specifically soccer organization yeah. where we help uh, settle refugees through sport. And what we do is we just provide them with a welcoming space where they feel that you know they have the same resources that other footballers, soccer players or rep players have. They have full access to an amazing kit for free. You know, they get amazing meals on a regular basis. You know, they get trainings that are up to very high standards by coaches that are very well experienced. And so when you get that, then, you know, you really get the passion for the sport. And when you get the passion for it, then that's when you connect them with other organizations. So for instance, we're very much connected with North Toronto Soccer Club now. And so that's kind of where we send them off to, hey, you're an amazing footballer. I think you should join this organization. Hey, you're struggling with school a little. Let us support you mentally, but also let us connect you with uh, Wood Green Community Services, for instance, that, you know, does X, Y, and Z. And so I think it's really about getting the first step in and then you unleash all the open doors afterwards. Yeah. We're not in high performance just because we registered in our very first year of sport. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It takes a while. Like, you know, and I think that, you know, let's talk a little bit about, you know, we're kind of closing in on coming to an end of the podcast, but I'd love to I just think that in today, I mean, forever, but I mean, I think today in today's world, sport is so critical with the level of anxiety and depression and mental health concerns that I think society struggles with on on a greater level than we ever did before through technology and other things. And, you know, the pace of schedules, the pace of work, the pace of one's life. But, you know, sport, I think, brings you know, kind of puts everything into perspective. It it gives us that safe place of play that kind of lets us forget about all the other stuff for a little while. And, you know, I think we've lost our way with that a little bit. It's, you know, we've, we forgot about how important play is. And I know we've, we've done a ton of work with, you know, adolescents and development of, you know, young brains and kids. And I mean, they learn through play. And we need to get back to that, in my opinion. I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, just where sport's at and why sport is critical in our communities, um, in our world, and uh, and just your perspective on that, Farkund. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Definitely, I think, you know, sport is about having fun. It's very play-based. And that's how you want to introduce youth to it in order for them to want to continue it, but also not leave sport early. Um, The issue that I see now is specifically, I can speak about, you know, female athletes is they're leaving the sport way too young because a, it's not fun, but also you have these unrealistic expectations at the age of eight about, you know, tactics and how you should be, you know, your technique. Whereas, you know, as an eight-year-old, All you should be focused on is the physical aspect of enjoying it, the social side of connecting with your friends. And so, you know, I'd like for us to kind of shift back into that, making sure it's fun in order to keep, you know, kids in sport. Uh, But also it goes back to sport is just incredibly powerful. And specifically with regards to progressing, I want to talk about more so the United Nations Social Development Goals, right? 
And, and so, for instance, we talk about progressing gender equality or ending poverty or you know, providing better mental health strategies for our communities, but what better way to do it through sport? What better way to do it when, you know, you see athletes as positive role models, you see, let's say, incredible football clubs or franchises, making sure that, you know, they're giving access to young kids to compete in sport. And so I think as a community, we can do better. Sport is definitely a, an incredible place to have, you know, to, to progress that. And yeah. I just, I, I do truly believe that, you know, we're in a positive, we're going towards a positive direction and I hope that we can just grow from there. Yeah. Well, for Kunda, I'm sure we'll, we'll have lots more of these conversations, but I mean, this has been awesome and you know, w- what a way for me to learn uh, about you as a person and your incredible work at such a young age and uh, and your passion and your knowledge around the social issues that I believe that are holding back so many in today's world. So I'm so proud to be a co-founder of Respect Group with all of our employees and now you to be part of the team. Um, we do have a great team, and I think what you're going to bring to the table is the new role of conscience and culture is critical to help us continue to be the best we can be. Uh, we need to walk the walk. Uh, I know Wayne and I are very excited about that. And is there anything, Farkunda, that do you think is critical that we should discuss that I missed? Or I really enjoyed the conversation, and we discussed a lot about the importance and of sport and how impactful it can be. I am just really excited to get going with the respect group. And I'm Good. I'm so proud to be a part of an organization that genuinely believes in uh, the impact of sport and social change simultane- simultaneously. Yeah, don't worry about the, the, the mishap in saying a word. I, I do that probably about uh, <laughs> three times a sentence. So it's, yeah. it's all good. I'm, I'm sitting there listening to you talk and I'm thinking to myself like, she she's very well spoken and and i'm thinking to myself like you know i'm i'm not so (laughs) it was uh yeah it was it was awesome it made me uh made me reflect a little bit on my uh maybe i should read more books and that's a wrap barkunda as we say in uh that respect group and i'd like to thank you for joining us and be sure to subscribe to our show in your podcast app so we can stay connected This show was made possible by Respect Group. And to learn more about their work and vision, visit respectgroupinc.com. Thanks again for tuning in to The Sheldon Kennedy Show. 